Nate Duran, and this is the Infinite Jigsaw Podcast, a place for honest conversation, discovery, and with a genuine incentive to improve sense-making. In this series of 10 30-minute episodes, I ask my friend Carbon Mike to explain the 10 precepts of foundationism. Mike is the founder of the Foundationist Society, a political movement of people who build things for a living, whose beliefs fall outside the boundaries of traditional left-right politics, a place for those who are conservative on some issues and liberal about others, a secular society, but friendly to believers, forward-looking, although respectful of tradition, with an open-eyed love for country, whilst acknowledging the existence of injustice and the need for change, the society are not revolutionaries and don't believe in burning down the house in order to fix what's wrong with it. Foundationists believe in free markets, but only as vital engines for wealth creation and not as the blueprints for just and functional societies. And they also believe in borders and the defence of borders, but with an understanding that the most important borders are indeed invisible and can only be defended by truth, plainly spoken, a love of order, a hatred of injustice and a courageous trust in one's fellow citizens. Foundationists believe in the individual, but only to the extent that the individual is willing to give up petty tribalism and adopt the responsibilities and civic virtues of citizenship. They believe in the state but only as a vessel for the sacred fire that burns in the individual. And they have gratitude for the civilization handed down to us by our predecessors. It is the foundation on which we build the future. When in past episodes exploring the 10 precepts of foundationism, I asked Mike about the first nine precepts, which are see deeply, listen closely, reason honestly, speak clearly, act bravely, deny the self, defend the individual, respect tradition and face the present. And to initiate the last discussion, I asked Mike why he placed face the present second to last. And he said the last three precepts in the manifesto can be read as past, present and future. And that the manifesto was not meant to be overtly political or maximalist, but instead tries to point people towards habits of thought. Next, I asked, why is it so important to face the present? And Mike said that it's a matter of immersion and forgetting to notice things that are ever present. Penultimately asked, when some people's present circumstances are so unappealing, why should they follow this discipline? And we heard that however badly reality is, it can always be made worse by choosing to disregard what's happening. And lastly, I asked him, what's wrong in modern life with the way we face the present? And Mike explained that although there are many things to choose from, the greatest error can take two forms, denial, and self-deception. So for Mike's full explanations of how to see deeply, listen closely, reason honestly, speak clearly, act bravely, deny the self, defend the individual, respect tradition and face the present, please check out previous episodes of the Foundationist Manifesto series on YouTube, Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, etc. or just search for the Infinite Jigsaw podcast in your browser. Well today we are back together to discuss the last and the tenth precept of the manifesto which is cultivate the future and i'll be asking a similar set of questions so mike welcome back to the infinite jigsaw thank you brother it's been a great journey (laughs) these past uh (laughs) these past nine episodes yeah indeed it has it's um just over a year um we started this series april 21 so it's been a it's been a great year of exploration um and now we're on the final episode the final precept so let me ask you straight out 
what does it mean to cultivate? That's a relatively simple one. It means that cultivating is growing. And I think when people think about the future, a lot of times they think that it's just something that unfolds that you wait for. But that's not really good enough because if you think of things that way, if you think of the future that way, then it's easy to lapse into a passive mode where all you're doing is letting things unfold around you. And then there's kind of an opposite error. And this is an error that a lot of our, uh, I guess you call our central planners, uh, globalist adversaries embrace, right? And that's the thing of maximal control. We are going to, we're going to plan everything out and everything's going to happen according to a formula and, uh, and there'll be no surprises and no variations and what have you. That's also obviously wrong. And that only ends up making things a lot worse because you're trying to you're trying to constrain reality you're, you're trying to bend reality beyond what reality will bear and, and, and something has to give so i was looking for a way to kind of round out this manifesto and i thought well mm. in what way does it make sense to approach the future to to visualize the future to to engage with the future and the metaphor i came up with was an agricultural metaphor Right. A metaphor from farming, you cultivate the future, the future is something that grows. And when you anyone who's grown things, anyone who has a garden knows that you plan, you plant seeds, you tend to the growing thing. But things don't unfold exactly as you plan. You don't neglect to plan simply because, you know, things won't follow your plan exactly. But nor do you try to micromanage the thing that you're growing because it's going to that that plant that you're caring for that 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 you know rose bush in your garden or whatever that's going to grow in its own way to a certain extent, and it's a it's it, it's a feedback loop, right? It's a it, it's a conversation with the thing that is growing, and and then I got into thinking about the future as being this this living thing that grows out of the present. Uh, and it was, it was very important to me to, to kind of, to maintain that spirit because we live in times of radical uncertainty. We live in times of radical hazard and the temptation is to throw one's hands up, right? The temptation is to adopt the passive mode. Uh, and I think sometimes I think the, the more aware people are, the more they're seeing deeply going back to the first manifesto point the easier it is to be discouraged and the easier it is to just fall into the passive mode. You hear this with some of our friends who uh, have a more conspiratorial turn of mind. They say, oh, they're going to do this. You know, they're going to do that. Or they'll say, well, what, what do you think they're going to do next? Or what are they going to do to us next kind of thing? And I don't think that's the right spirit. The right spirit is what are we going to grow? What, what seeds are we going to plant now? You know, how will we tend those seeds now? How will we defend the growing thing now, you know, to, to await the unfolding of events, but to await with, with a kind of a, a disciplined watchfulness, the disciplined watchfulness and care of the farmer. You think of cultivating the future in these agricultural terms, because clearly growing is an act driven by the passing of time. 
um, and can be more or less a successful process given certain optimum or suboptimum circumstances. And, you know, us humans just love to think that we are brilliant at controlling mm. our circumstances. And to a certain degree, we are. But there's always room for for deviation from the optimum path and the room for um, fuck ups. That's right. So this is the future we're talking about. Why should we believe in the future? I don't have an easy answer to that one. I'm going to have to refer to to a better head than mine on this. You know, I talk sometimes about uh, Peter Hitchens. I think I think the, the, the Christian I talk the most about is probably G.K. Chesterton, but I talk a lot about Peter Hitchens. I came to know about Peter Hitchens through his late brother, Christopher, who back when I was uh, an atheist, um, I really liked, you know, and I remember watching his God is not great series of lectures. And he talked about faith. He had this he had this way of, of, of talking about faith. It was like, well, what's the big deal about faith? It's all faith is, is is the ability to believe things without evidence. And in the mindset I was in back then, it was easy to kind of denigrate that and say, yeah, that's that's stupid. Right? These, these people of faith, you know, they, they believe things and they, they don't have any evidence. And then later on, when I kind of had reasoned my way out of atheism, what I realized was that faith is something we require even as a separate matter from religious belief. For example, we want our children to be active and even enthusiastic participants in their own education. We tell our children that if they apply themselves, the same applies whether they're going to public school or being homeschooled or going to trade school or whatever. But we, we tell young people that if they apply themselves, they'll reap positive benefits, right? That they'll achieve good outcomes in the future. There is no evidence for that. You could say there's historical evidence, but that's not the same thing. There is actually no evidence in someone's life who is young right now that if they do these things, that they cultivate these habits of thought, that their lives 10, 15, 20 years down the road will be better. They have to have faith. That's the first thing. And the reason why I mentioned Peter Hitchens was because when I started to know about him, and started to listen to his talks and his his conversations online. One of the things he said, which which really struck me very deeply, was when someone asked him about religious faith. He said, "Look, I don't have it. It's ridiculous for me to say that such and such a thing proves the existence of God. There is no proof of the existence of God. There is evidence, which is not the same thing." And he said, "Faith is a choice." And it's as simple and as difficult as that. It is a choice to believe that you can cultivate the future to the benefit of yourself and your family and your tribe and your people. And there is no there's no ironclad answer to that. There's no algorithm or formula you can apply to that. 
there are no three easy steps or five easy steps or even 10 easy steps. Faith is a choice. And you have to walk right up to that, that boundary between unbelief and belief. And again, I'm not talking about religious belief necessarily, mm. um, but you, you have to simply choose to believe that you can accomplish something in the future if you do these things now in the same spirit um, in which a farmer sets out in very early spring to seed a field. That farmer doesn't know what's what's, what's going to happen in that field. He knows what he wants to grow. They wants to grow corn or soybeans, potatoes, or whatever. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He could, you know, bad weather could take him out, right? Too much rain, not enough rain, you know, uh, uh, wh- whatever kind of uh, uh, plant virus or blight or locusts or whatever. Yeah. I mean, anything could take him out. He is at the mercy of the elements. You could say he, he's, you could say he's at the mercy of luck if you want to. But, but the fact is the spirit in which he approaches that field and says, okay, it's time. It's, it's, it's planting time. It's seeding time. That is the spirit in, in which we have to approach the future and therefore that's the spirit in which we have to approach cultivation the work we do now out of which future events will grow that's the spirit of uh, the spirit of the farmer and and it is a spirit of profound faith and faith is a choice indeed it is indeed it is and believing in the future has an um, has an air of inevitability because it's always going to occur no matter what you know we do the sun rises and falls but running concurrent to that is the fact that us as individuals will see our last sundown and our last dawn one day but as you say about telling young people to apply themselves even though the only aspect of their future that is certain is the end of their own lives we still instill into them the faith that effort throughout life or leave a mark after your demise in the form of legacy. Yes. And it, that's perhaps the lesson which has shaped the world. And I'm segueing into the next question here because I want to ask you, what does embracing cultivation and believing in the future set us up for? Where do we point this mode? Kind of the structure of the question implies that it's asking for a prediction. But the the I want to I want to be very c- careful about this. Mm. You know, it is it's it's not really possible to predict the future, to predict outcomes in that way. I think the thing that we get set up for, to, to use your term, by adopting this um, this discipline, by making that choice of faith that allows us to. To, to begin cultivating and, and, to, and to, to put effort into the present. That is not something that sets us up for a future outcome. What it does, I think, is it makes us better and more effective human beings now. Mm-hmm. It makes us better neighbors. Uh, the word neighbor actually means some someone who built something close by you. Right? Um, who do you want to be living 
close by you. That is the kind of people that do you want to have uh, the kind of people who are interested in building things, who care about their surroundings? Or do you want uh, the kind of neighbors who just have succumbed to futility and say, oh, just just let everything unfold as it will. And I, I refuse to make any effort. Everyone knows, you know, people can say this now, but everyone knows what kind of person they like to live around. Everyone knows that it's better to be around people who have that spirit of, okay, let's 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 put in this work now and let's see what unfolds. And the fact is that no matter what unfolds, because I can't predict that and I wouldn't try, no matter what unfolds, that discipline, that spiritual discipline makes you a better person now. It makes the present, the uncertain present more bearable. It just makes it better. It's just materially better. It's obviously objectively better to be around people who think that way, even if their plans don't work out as they hope they will. They will. And very often their plans don't work out as they hope they will, because that's the nature of things. But it's the discipline of approaching life in a certain way. It's the the strength to avoid despair. It's the strength to avoid passivity and fatalism. The courage to face uncertainty, to stare down the possibility of absolute disaster, right? You know, at, to, to what you mentioned earlier, the ability to look at death, which is certain, and bare your teeth at it so that you're almost smiling. That's what makes good companions, to do all that with grace, you know. That's what makes good companions. That, that was, that's what makes good neighbors. That's what makes a family, a tribe, a people strong. It's that spirit. Mm. And that is as good as it gets. That's as good as it gets. I've been very careful about not trying to guarantee things, especially guarantee positive things. We've had too much happy talk from the self-help crowd um, over the last few years. You know, we've had too much of that. We've had too much uh, therapeutic theism. You know, <laughs> God wants you to be happy. Well, maybe. But, you know, this is we, we live in, in, the, in, in the world. We live in the universe that's governed in part by time. And time means that things degrade and time means that we lose things. And being sentient creatures, we get to think about loss. So this isn't about happy talk. This is about given the world we have, how do we want to set ourselves up? And how do we want to set the place up so that it is no worse than it has to be? And that there is at least the possibility that it's better or that it comes to be better it really does make sense. I, I've never been consciously uh, cognizant, really, of when choosing a place to live to try to put myself around people that are, are building things, as you say, like building community, building neighbourly support structures, common commerce. But sitting here now and looking out the window at my street, those are the most important things I come to realise. Yes. And because of, as you say, natural degradation, if we don't constantly sow and tend 
to the community, then it falls apart around our ears. Yes. Quite quickly as well. So I'll ask you one last question about maintenance, really. I mean, how, how do we keep doing this? How do we keep cultivating? What are the meditations and the practices? I mean, I think uh, the foundationist manifesto was a halfway decent <laughs> meditation, mm-hmm. but um, you know, because mm-hmm. because you're you're uh, you know from the very first point you have to see deeply. You're building things. If you're building large and consequential things, you're probably doing it in conjunction with other people. So you have to listen closely to, to what other people have to say to what they're bringing to the table. You have to reason about the world because you're interacting with the world. Right. You are you are um, you are you are trying to use natural mechanisms to acquire to, to achieve a result. You are you are engaging in an act of technology. Right. When you when you're planting a field, uh, when you're building a house, when you're sewing a garment, you know, all these all this basic dawn of man stuff. You know, people people when people say technology, they think about computers usually. But that is technology. Fabric is technology. Agriculture is technology. Housing is technology. Pottery is technology. And technology is is the godchild of reason. And then we have to communicate with each other. So we have to speak clearly and, uh, you know, act bravely and, 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 and all those things. So uh, I'd say that the, the manifesto itself is is one possible meditation but again the manifestation really just borrows from much older much deeper structures i mean here in the west we have a religious tradition we have a tradition of christianity the christianity is all over this stuff okay christianity has had you know they've been covering this ground for thousands of years mm. okay and it's worth digging into that history. It's worth digging into these religious documents. It's worth going back and reading reading your, your gospels. It's worth going back and reading reading Genesis. Um, it, it's worth going and reading some of the best Christian apologetics. You know, of course, two of my favorites, as you know, G.K. Chesterton and, and C.S. Lewis. Uh, but there are many others. Um, it's worth digging into this stuff, even if only a little bit to get some clues as to how people have dealt with this problem, because this is not a new problem we're opposing. The foundationism is a relatively new movement, but it's not dealing with anything new. And, and the answers uh, that we've managed to, to come up with are not new answers, mm. right? It's like, I came up with the manifesto. I didn't invent the answers. <laughs> the answers have been there. I had to go, I had to go digging, I had to go digging in the dirt, you know, for, for these, uh, for some of these answers, you know? So I would say, I would say that that's the, the, the meditations, if you like, are all around us because our history, our cultural history, the history of the arts, our religious traditions, they are also all around us. We're in a conflict with people who would like to erase those traditions, but they haven't erased mm-hmm. them yet. They just don't talk about them. Okay. Except in disparaging terms, they've just taken them off the table in terms of what people are taught at school, but all, all the, all the, the traditions are still there. I remember I was, um, I was reading about this American uh, author named Dashiell Hammett. He wrote, uh, these kind of uh, noir detective novels. He's very mm. famous for that. And, um, and many of his books got made into movies. He, he gave an interview to a journalist one time and the journalist asked him, 
the, the, I think they were at his house, at Dashiell Hammett's house. And he, he'd, uh, he'd been very successful as an author and he had a nice big house. And, and so the journalist asked him something like, you know, aren't you, don't you think that these movies have kind of ruined your books for some people, what have you? And Dashiell Hammett took him to his library. He had outfitted a, a whole big library in his house. And he said, look, look, there are all my books on that shelf. There they are. They're fine. They're all right. <laughs> Nothing's happened to them. They haven't gone anywhere. So we have to remember, even as we're we're in in this battle with with, some, with what some call wokeism or you know radical leftism, the, the the cultural aspect of the conflict we are in now has not erased our traditions. All it means is that we have to work just a little harder to go find out about those, to investigate those traditions. That's all. And that's all right because, well, we should be willing to do at least that much work if we want to do the more difficult work of cultivating the future. So I would say, look around, you know, look around and, and uh, do your research, but the, the traditions, the history, uh, the, that, that richness, the, the, the evidence of the way our predecessors struggled with these fundamental questions is all there for the reading. It's all there for the taking. Um, in, in your country, in, in London, there's, um, well, the St. Paul's Cathedral, I believe, that was designed by Christopher Wren. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, the, 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 um, the plaque, the, the, the memorial plaque to Christopher Wren inside the cathedral reads something like, See requiris monumentum circumspice, something like that, which is if you seek his monument, look about you, look around you, right? If you seek his monument, look around you. And that's true of our ancestors mm -hmm. too. If you seek mm -hmm. their monument, look around you. That's such a great way to round it off, mate. I, I agree that the the Foundationist Manifesto is a really good set of practices and meditations to be able to continue cultivating the future in a positive way. I've learned so much throughout the 10 episodes and most importantly, I've drawn um, lots of practical utility from your explanation of each precept. And actually, I'd just like to say a little bit about each of them, if, if I may, Absolutely. In, in final summary, because... When I think back to the first episode and, and seeing deeply, I remember you saying that not seeing deeply is essentially being blind. Mm. And that facts are, in fact, like icebergs, most of their mass is under the surface. Mm. And similarly, with listen closely, you said that if not seeing deeply makes you blind, then not listening closely makes you deaf. Mm. And that acting on something from the first hearing causes you to, uh, jump to conclusions which is a problem and then um, the third precept reason honestly when you said that it's working class people that are to be looked at for examples of honest reasoning this really struck me people that work with their hands and construct things by uh, dynamic rules that if not followed honestly and exactly end in uh, structural failure which put another way is chaos right mm. and then when explaining speak clearly, you commented that if we don't practice 
speaking clearly, we actually destroy our ability to come to terms with ideas. And you went on to say that there's a kind of feedback loop of speech, understanding and ideas. And this was really helpful for me to understand why and how so much of our societal communication is so faulty in the absence of clear speech. Yes. Yeah. You know, it was really well pointed out. And episode five, uh, halfway point of the series, when talking about uh, acting bravely, act bravely, you recounted us with the story of Flight 90 and the heroic actions of one selfless man, which was such a moving real life story. I recommend people track back and listen to that man's incredible selflessness. Uh, we were broken up, both of us, by the end of that uh, podcast. In episode six, we spoke about deny the self, which you said is uh, the precept that people find actually the most challenging because there's a kind of preconception that deny the self is somehow a, a negation of the self, you put it, uh, a kind of delegitimizing of the self. But actually, it's quite the opposite. It's about, you said, taming the lower self in order for your higher self to emerge. And this was a really good revelation that makes the precept definitely one of my favourites, deny the self. Then we spoke about defend the individual. And he said that recognising the individual in someone else is actually recognising the part of them that you have in common with yourself, which I find really helpful again and, and quite calming, actually, because due to modern day schisms of, of these vastly different worldviews, and the behaviours that they emanate, it's really easy, actually, to dehumanise our fellow brothers and sisters. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So right. this meditation does really good work to refocus and and reunite a sense of, of, of kinship. Um, in episode eight, on respect tradition, which must be one of the hottest precepts, really, um, you brought up the building analogy and ask what the loss of a structural member does to a building which we know is pretty much calamity. So for me to bear in mind that traditions are uh, being like structures and must be treated with care and consideration. If you're going to take a hammer to them, you better be starkly aware that you may find yourself encased in a pile of cultural rubble. <laughs> That's right. You know, it's yeah. a cautionary <laughs> tale and it's a cautionary precept. Mm. Um, second to last, then we, we spoke about face the present, which I summarized at the top of this podcast. And it's one of the most prescient points. Uh, I just want to reiterate it. And that's when you said that however bad reality may seem, not facing it in the moment, in the present, can easily make things a lot worse. Mm. We all know that an aching tooth only becomes more painful when neglected. It takes up more of your headspace and ends in a ultimately painful episode. So, Mike, these 10 episodes have, have been anything but painful. They've been a real joy to produce and a genuine heartfelt thank you for all your wise words and your hard work, mate. Hey, well, thank you, brother. You, um, this was, as I recall, this was your idea to record a podcast episode for each of the precepts in the manifesto. Mm. And, uh, at, again, it's, it's, it's a blessing that we crossed paths in the first place, you know. And it's it was just uh, I, th there's no one in the world I would rather have done this series with, you know, um, it's just, just, just amazing. It's, it's just been just, just talking about them 
out loud with you and kind of having that 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 dialogue um, has just has opened my eyes to things and has forced me to really think even more deeply about them and and how they apply to people's lives and how people who are not me come at these questions, you know. So so thank you. Thank you for doing this. Um, It's been it's been it's been a pleasure and an honor. Well, as with all the best projects, all the participants get an equal amount out of it. You know, nobody walks away thinking that was um, a waste of my time. So it's been such a good project and uh, it's been a year in the making. Uh, We could have done more more often, but we decided to to do them when we felt ready and, uh, you know, I'm I'm right to do it. And a year's about right. So. On to the next project with you and I, which we'll we'll definitely tell people what we're going to do soon. Yeah, yeah. Okay, for one last time then, when, when can people find more about Foundationism online? Uh, they can go to www.futurerad.io. Right, nice. People, do it. Go there and listen back to the episodes. Uh, I guarantee you'll get something out of them. Okay, Mike. Until next time, thank you for coming on the Infinite Jigsaw. Nice one, mate. Thank you, brother. Cheers. Ta-ra.